us and let us be open to your word. We ask forgiveness of our sins, our inequities, and our transgressions. Oh, Lord, continue to to just let your mercy and grace pour over us and our families and help us to understand that as we learn these truths about you, Lord Jesus, let the Holy Spirit lead us that we will tell somebody that we all may be saved in your heavenly kingdom. And we ask these things in your holy and precious name. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, and before we actually get started, I'm going to share this live stream. So this will be a perfect opportunity to do that also, if you would like to share. And uh, I'm going to repeat the title in just a minute. Give me just a minute to do that. Oh, shoot. Wait a minute. I've got several things going on here, so let me get rid of that. Okay, there we go. Okay. Okay, here we go. So I'm going to share my live feed to about three or four different places. And okay, there we go. All right. Again, we are studying today from uh, the book entitled Testimonies for the Church by Ellen G. White. Uh, we're in volume one. And we are on chapter 95, Obedience to the Truth. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, so she's um, talking about a vision that she was shown in Rochester, New York in December of 1865. And she's she, this was apparently a letter to a particular uh, man, Brother D., and she always just used a first uh, initial or last initial. She never called people out when it was when the letters were pub published. So I'm sure uh, when she wrote them to them personally, they might have been, but their name, uh, their whole name was spelled out. But in any event, um, she says that uh, she says your in the first paragraph, she says your judgment is convinced that we have the truth, but you have not as yet experienced its sanctifying influence. You have not followed closely the footsteps of our Redeemer. Therefore, you are unprepared to walk even as he walked. As you listen to the words of truth, your judgment says that it is correct. It cannot be gainsaid. But immediately, the unsanctified heart says, these are hard sayings. Who can hear them? And she says, you would better give up your efforts to keep pace with the people of God. For new and strange and trying things will be continually arising. You will have no stop sometimes, and you may just as well stop now and better than to go further. So <laughs> this reminds me of something that the pastor said in his sermon today. Uh, apparently, this man, he, he, under, he recognizes what, is, what he's hearing as the truth. And I'm assuming he's going to church or going to tent meetings or whatever. He's recognizing it as the truth. But. Uh, he's, he's saying to himself, well, this is too hard to, to follow. Uh, does anybody remember in the Bible when uh, uh, Jesus said to uh, the people, eat my, eat my flesh and drink my blood? And what did the disciples and what did some people say to him? Anybody remember that? Well, they, they told Jesus, they said, this is too, this, this saying is too hard. And many, many, many of the people who had been following Christ up to that point turned away and didn't follow him anymore because they did not understand what he meant. And they thought 
he, I guess they thought he literally meant eat his body, which would be barbaric, of course, and cannibalism. And that's not what he meant at all. What can anybody tell me what he meant? No, everybody quiet. Today? Okay, Sister Karen, I was on mute. What I okay. think he meant was when he said eat my body, he meant the spirit that he had in him, let that spirit rage in them too, to get closer to him so that he could lead and guide them. But I think when you were talking about cannibalism, I think back then, because it was popular, I, I can imagine they were saying, oh, he, he wants to cut off, you know, I'm just giving an example, a finger and stuff, and wants us to eat it, and then we're going to be, you know, we're going to be more like him, or we're going to be walking in his light. And he just meant it in the spiritual realm of things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. He didn't mean it literally. But here's the thing. Spiritual things are what? They should be spiritual concern to those who are spiritual. Spiritually discerned. Correct. Correct. And so if the people were not, uh, and even though they were following him, it's, it's, it's pretty evident that the many that turned away from following him when he said that, they were not spiritually minded. They were worldly minded and earthly minded. And so to them, that saying was foolishness. And they were like, okay, this is craziness. I'm not following this person anymore. Um, but to those- But you who, know, sister, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, sister Karen. But I think too, the world has gotten to that point that if I can't see God do something for me, then why should I follow him? when they should, they should be thankful that he even gives them the breath of life to wake up. Yeah, you know, Pansy, I think we think, take a lot of things for granted. And we take up when we go to bed the night before and forget to pray that he's going to wake, we're going to wake up in the morning, you know, or, or some of us even wake up through the night because we get insomnia or whatever. But still, the point is, is that we just, so a lot of times we take for granted uh, we'll go to bed on an argument and not get that thing right before we go to bed. Uh, we won't get on our knees and pray and just take for granted that he's going to wake us up the next morning. So I think as Christians, and especially as, as, as Christians that have been in the church for a while, we've become that, that, that revelation word, lukewarm. And we see a lot of, that's why we see a lot of times when people are newly converted, that when they come into the church, they are on fire. They're just ready to work and ready to do stuff and all of that. And, and we just sit back and, okay, let them do it. That's what they wanted to let them do it. So uh, I think that uh, this man was in the condition of he, he heard the word, he believed the word, but and so, and so he had a certain amount of faith, but faith without works is what? Dead. Absolutely. Absolutely. So he wasn't ready to. Hello? Yes. We hear you. Hello? We hear you. Hello? So he wasn't ready to walk the walk. It was too hard for him. And uh, she says, um, she says in the next paragraph, the second paragraph, you cannot consent to profess the truth and yet not live it. She says that she was shown a book in which was written this gentleman's name. I think it was what, Brother D? What was his, yeah, Brother D. She was shown a book that his name was written in. 
but she said, and along with others, but she said against your name, against his name was a black blot. And she said, he was looking upon this and saying, it can never be effaced. Jesus held his wounded hand above it and said, my blood alone can efface it. If thou wilt from henceforth choose the path of humble obedience and rely solely upon the merits of my blood to cover thy past transgressions, I will blot out thy transgressions and cover thy sins. But if you choose the path of, trans of transgressors, you must reap the transgressors reward. The wages of sin is death. So, so tell me what you think that that paragraph meant. What was the man feeling? Or what was he thinking? Anybody? You said, what was he thinking? Yeah, based on what I just read, what, he, what, what was the man thinking when he said, when he said, um, his basically his sins could never be taken away. That that black block against his name could never be removed. I think like all, like all of us, our names are written in the book of life when we accept Christ, but that black blot was showing that his name could be blotted out. And then we tend to want to think, oh, I'm, I sin now I have to fix it. Or like this guy had opportunity to see the black blot on his name and he knew he couldn't fix it. But Jesus is saying, I can fix it mm -hmm. through my blood, but we have to accept the blood of Christ, which uh, cleanses us from all sins. That's what we have to do is remember the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And it was almost like this man was feeling like he could not be saved. So, so why try? Because he had this black blot against his name and that black blot would never be erased. So why even try? And like you said, and again, by himself, no, by ourselves, right. never get erased. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then she says in the next paragraph, she said, I saw evil angels surrounding you seeking to divert your mind from Christ, causing you to look upon God as a God of justice and to lose sight of his love, compassion and mercy of a crucified savior who will save to the uttermost all who come unto him. So, so the angels were around him, making him think that God was this exacting judgmental God and he could not do anything about that. And, and, and the evil angels didn't want him to see and recognize that even though God is a God of justice, he's a God of love, he's a God of compassion and mercy. And that Jesus will save those who come to him. And the angel said to him, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So um, I think that that a lot of times and we, we may not see it because we, we don't see the spiritual realm. But um, I think a lot of times we may get discouraged because there are evil angels surrounding us and telling us, you know what? God is not going to uh, accept you. God is not going to do for you. God is not going to forgive you um, because of the, you know, your gross sins or whatever. And, and, and removing our, our eyes and our sight away from the fact that God is so merciful and that he wants to save us and he's doing everything in his power to save us. Any other comments on that? 
Yeah, I had a comment because <laughs> where it says the evil angels were surrounding the guy, mm-hmm. causing him to look upon God as a God of justice only, but lose sight of the mercy. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of churches or a lot of preachers, whoever, still preaching fire and brimstone without mercy. And so it just scares people and makes you not want to know God. But I think it's Isaiah where it says uh, justice and mercy have kissed each other. So those two come together because he is a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. And, you know, those of us that went to the tabernacle uh, model got Mm -hmm. to see the mercy seat above Mm -hmm. God's law inside so that when God looks at his law, he sees it through the lens of mercy. It's like he's looking down through the mercy seat at his law. So mercy is mingled in with the justice. But a lot of people are afraid of God because all they hear is the justice part and the fire and brimstone part. And you know what um, I was reading about? uh, I was reading in Patriarchs and Prophets about Cain, right? And after Cain slew Abel, Cain, uh, you know, God said, well, you're going to be cast out as a vagabond upon the earth. And he said, well, if you do that, anybody that comes upon me will kill me. And God was so merciful that he set a mark on Cain. And when he set that mark on Cain, it was to protect him from anyone just coming upon him and killing him like he did to his brother Abel. And so that just showed me how merciful God is. And now, and and we know, we know the generations of Cain and how, uh, you know, they became the Canaanites and just evil and wicked in every respect, but still God was merciful. Um, still God gave him an opportunity to live and to change. Now we know he didn't change and, and, and he was an influencer for evil on all of, of all of those descendants that came after him. But yet God was merciful. God allowed him to be protected. You know, even though he lied when, when God asked him, where's your brother Abel? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so you know, that just that just showed me God is so merciful and he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to, to repentance and be saved. Um, let's see the next paragraph, unless anybody had any comments behind that. Um, the next paragraph, 544. Uh, before, you, before you go there, Karen, okay. I was thinking about where you said uh, God set a mark on Cain to protect mm-hmm. him. And mm-hmm. God has set a mark upon all those who have called upon his name, that mark being the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. um, so that Satan and his evil angels can't just destroy us. As long mm-hmm. as we remember, God has marked us for salvation. And mm-hmm. as we depend upon him, the devil has no power on us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or over us, absolutely. Uh, she says in paragraph 544.1, When you are under the pressure of mental anxieties, when you are hearkening to the suggestions of Satan and murmuring and complaining, which we do a lot of, a ministering angel is commissioned to bear you the succor you need and to put to shame the language of your unbelieving mind. You distrust God. You disbelieve in his power to save to the uttermost. You dishonor God by this cruel unbelief and cause yourself much needless suffering. I saw heavenly angels surrounding you, driving back the evil angels and looking with pity and sorrow upon you and pointing you to heaven, the crown of immortality, saying he that would win must fight. So, uh, and, and, and 
you know, I know I've been, there's been times when I've just been discouraged and like, Lord, where are you? And, you know, why aren't you answering? Why aren't you helping? Why aren't you, you know, of course, when we think of helping, it's the way we think he should help, you know, um, but Jesus has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so instead of murmuring and complaining and sitting in pity and whatever else we do sometimes when we, when we are going through a season of discouragement, um, we just need to trust him. We just need to trust God. We just need to grab a hold to his unchanging hand and say, Lord, uh, uh, because the scripture says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and just say, Lord, renew my strength. I got, I need you to renew my strength. I need those eagles wings, uh, mount up on, on, on wings as eagles. And so, um, and just cling to the Lord because that's, that's what he does. That's what he loves. He loves when uh, uh, the enemy is trying to discourage us and pull us down and have us murmuring and complaining about this or that or the other. Uh, which is not pleasing to him, that we just turn to him and say, Lord, you know, there's a lot going on. The the enemy is pressing in on me. I need your help, period. And then to win, he says, you must fight. So, and and fighting is, uh, you know, if you resist the devil, he will flee. So fighting is resisting him, resisting that mindset that he's trying to pull us down into uh, and that, that dark pit that sometimes Satan tries to pull us down into. Any comments? Any other comments? I ain't trying to hog this discussion, but <laughs> I had to go ahead. <laughs> I was, we were watching this documentary about these people who had gotten attacked by animals. And mm-hmm. then uh, when the ant, like this guy, he got attacked by a bear and the bear was just killing him, you know, literally ripping him to shreds and the man was and the man was not the sprouts and the man was on his back being basically about to be killed and then the lord spoke to him and said you got to fight back mm-hmm. you know and we know god can save us at any moment but mm-hmm. he's also given us a part to play as we talked about earlier in sabbath school that mm-hmm. god of course he can do anything and everything but he wants us to be involved in the plan of salvation so he told the guy to fight back and when the guy started fighting back he overcame the bear and ended Mm. up saving his life so like with this guy he's got these evil angels around him pressing him down tormenting him causing depression and unbelief and suffering Mm -hmm. and like you said we got to fight back and say god is on my side the lord loves me he wouldn't leave me here uh without any way of escape and we have to do what we humanly possibly can to fight against the evil angels and to fight against depression, to fight against disbelief. God mm-hmm. can do all that for us, but he's not going to because we have to play a part in our salvation also. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Sister Karen, my mm-hmm. comment to that was, too, I agree with Elder Carroll. I said, God never lets anything happen without giving us a warning. And if we're studying his word, even when Satan comes to attack us, we know we can call on Christ, but the attack shouldn't be a surprise to us. We're God's children. And in Revelation talks about how he went to make war with the woman and her seed. We're that seed that he's making, and God has put it in his word if we study. This is where their enemy is coming at you. 
They mm-hmm. prayed up, stayed up, stay connected to me. I won the battle. Just stay with me. And I, and, and to me, and, you know, and I know when I, when I go through some things, I say, Lord, you said you gave us a promise. You'll never leave us. But you've already won. If I just hang on to you, you've already told me how the devil is going to try to deceive me. You've given me warnings. You showed me. So now all I have to do is have faith that once I'm holding on to you, you and the Holy Spirit are going to pull me on through. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, and also, when you said take an active part, the Bible says we uh, should, you know, resist the devil and he will mm-hmm. flee. And mm-hmm. God will always, he also promised he'll always make a way of escape for you. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there are verbs in that. You know, we mm-hmm. have to resist the devil and mm-hmm. then we have to look for that way of escape through, yeah. you know, put, you know, on the Lord, call on the Lord. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Along, along with what Paula's saying, it does say resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Before that, it says submit yourself to God. So that's acknowledging that God is all powerful and that he's on our side. So once we do that, then our resistance pays dividends. But humanly speaking, we don't have a chance. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, further down in that paragraph, uh, let me see, we're in paragraph 544.2. Um, let's see. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, she says um, that he has not yielded all for the true sake. He has not yielded himself and his own will. And he fears that to uh, lay himself, wait a minute, let me see, and all that he has upon the altar of God, lest you may be required to yield back to him some portion of that which he has lent you. And then she says, you did, brother, fear that the truth will cost you too much. But that's one of Satan's suggestions. And then this is what she says about it. She says, let it take all that you possess, and it does not cost too much. The value received, if rightly estimated, is an eternal weight of glory. How little is required of us? How small the sacrifice that we can make in comparison with that which our divine Lord made for us? And then she says, and yet a spirit of murmuring comes over you because of the cost of everlasting life. Huh. Isn't that something? So Jesus gave his life that we could inherit eternal life. And we don't want to give our will over to him now. Sister White says that we can't give our hearts to him because they, our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know them? And the Satan is in possession of our hearts. The Lord just has to come and take our hearts. But we can give our wills over to him. And as we give our wills over to him and he molds and shapes us according to his similitude, then our hearts are also softened and changed and 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 come and in, comes into a right relationship with god well it also says in that paragraph that if he will yield and and, and repent that he his family could be saved and mm-hmm. and, and faith should be sustained so right. and that I has mean, to do with the influence right that influence for right doing because a lot of times wives or children they will model themselves after their uh, you know after their husband or, or father as the case may be and so yeah you're absolutely right it says these members of your family 
She says, you have several times nearly yielded the conflict, but the influence of your wife and eldest daughter has prevailed. These members of your family would obey the truth with the whole heart. Could they have your influence to sustain them? So, so apparently there are those in his family, his wife and his daughter, oldest daughter, who want to follow the truth. But he's basically ready to throw in the towel, but somehow they persuade him to keep on moving forward. Um, because they're ready. If he would just grasp a hold of the infinite hand of grace and mercy, then uh, his family would follow and be saved, as you were saying, Paula. Uh, let's see. And then she talks about how his daughters look to him as an example of what is right. And then she says, uh, how can you in, in the judgment meet these to testify that your unfaithfulness proved their ruin? So basically, how can you Later on, if you're lost and your family is lost, how can you meet them and say, you know, anything, really, anything? When you knew the truth, you could have followed the truth and led your family to follow the truth, but you just refused to do it. That just shows you how important, <laughs> how important the choices that we make in life are, who we choose to, 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 to marry, who we choose to have children with, um, and, and, and the effect or the, the ripple effect of, um, their character and their beliefs on the entire family. I agree with, yeah, with that, Karen Busted also saying to each of us, don't forget that other people are watching you and are influenced by you. Uh, many times we think we have to see somebody actually be baptized to know that we had an influence. That's not necessarily true. You mm -hmm. can be influencing people that are not related to you. They might be coworkers, somebody you saw on the street, on the bus, somebody at the store. Every little influence pays dividends because they say, uh, I think they had said at one time, a person has met on average seven other seven-day events before they actually joined the church. So yeah. it took seven people, and I know that's not every case, but it took seven people influencing this person for them to make a decision. So you might be number one, you might be number five, you might be number seven. So don't ever discount the influence that you may have on somebody giving their life to Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And somebody we always want to make sure that we are a positive influence because a lot of times we, and I can testify, I'll speak for myself, let people know where I stand and who I am as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, but then get frustrated at a situation and they watch how I react. So we always must, you know, pray and make sure we represent God, God and his truth correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I gave a mission story at the Alton Church today and the, uh, it was the, from Zimbabwe and a young lady, her name was Blessing. And she was, she took us back to, you know, her teen years and she was her in a, you know, she attended a Sunday church and one of the leaders at the church, she was telling the leader as a teenager that she wanted to serve God and she wanted to be able to be celibate to keep, to keep herself for Jesus. And the leader of, of this Sunday church told her, he asked her, did she have a boyfriend? And she said, no. And he told her she needed to go taste love, then come back to the church. And, of course, you know, being 18, she went off to college. She stopped going to church. She got to drinking or whatever. Anyway, mm -hmm. she ended up pregnant. 
And in their custom, if you get pregnant, you got to stay with the guy. But, you know, she goes on to say, you know, they argued, they fought, they moved in with her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law was mean to her, and they ended up having two kids. And so she, it wasn't until her and her husband decided to move away from there because they needed to be able to get a job. Neither one of them was working. And when they met an elder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, he let her know that the world is going to come to an end very soon, and you got to get yourself ready with Jesus and get, and, you know, and get to learn. So she started taking Bible studies, and, she, you know, as that story went on, she said she had been to her husband's Sunday church, and she had left her own Sunday church. She never heard about Jesus was soon to come till she met mm-hmm. the Adventist leader. And they, she didn't even, they didn't even know. They had just moved there. And he approached them and spoke to them and asked them what they like to, you know. And I said, we never know who we may, even if, you know, if we invite them. We never know if the Holy Spirit, once we invite them, some will come. The Holy Spirit will lead them if we just open our mouth and say, you're welcome, you know, come and see. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You're right. Um, any other comments before we move on? Okay. Um, down at the bottom of paragraph 545.2, she was talking about how she was shown that Brother D's wife and eldest daughter, uh, have been his good angels and they've grieved over him. And I imagine that meant praying over him and encouraged him to resist the powerful suggestions of Satan. And she said through, through his love for them, his wife and his oldest daughter, he was induced to try again to fix his trembling faith upon the promises of God. She says Satan is waiting to over, was waiting to overthrow him that Satan may exult over his downfall. And those who are trampling underfoot the law of God are strengthened by him, Brother D, in their rebellion. And it is impossible for him to be strong until he takes a decided stand for the truth. I remember years ago, uh, my dad was an Adventist pastor and he was doing a tent effort and he preached a sermon and he, he and, and in that sermon, he was saying, uh, you have to declare yourself, whether you be gods or whether you be Satan's, you have to declare yourself. And so, um, and I don't know how many got baptized behind that. I don't remember that part of the story, but uh, there was a man five years later who uh, was a member of the church uh, and he saw my dad again. And he said to him, he said, you know, he said it was that sermon that you preached that night that said I had to take a stand, uh, uh, whether I was God's or whether I was Satan's. He said, that's what made me turn around and start following the Lord. And so, you know, it, 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 she's saying here that if this man would just be strong and take a stand for the truth, then there would be others that would follow. But because he wasn't strong and taking a stand for the truth, then he has, he has uh, helped other people who are in rebellion against God. And so I think sometimes, I think sometimes we don't, believe how strong our influence can be over others and this is even talking about people outside of his family go ahead someone had a comment oh and now do i am i understanding this correctly this brother d he was a member in the church um 
would why would she be addressing him if he was just some you yeah, know some random guy that he's a member but he's a wavering member and he's not taking a strong stance so he is actually hurting the cause like i was alluding to before mm-hmm. by being a negative influence mm-hmm. on, on people you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely uh and then uh, I'm going to let uh, Lee and Lakita take this next paragraph about systematic systematic benevolence, because that's right up you all's alley. Paragraph uh, 545.3. One of y'all want to read that, and then one of you all uh, comment on it. Okay. You want me to read the whole thing? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Systematic benevolence looks to you as needless. You overlook the fact that it originated with God, whose wisdom is unerring. This plan he ordained to save confusion, to correct covetousness, avarice, selfishness, and idolatry. This system was to cause the burden to rest lightly, yet with due weight upon all. The salvation of man cost a dear price, even the life of the Lord of glory, which he freely gave to lift man from degradation and to exalt him to become heir of the world. God has so ordained that man shall aid his fellow man in the great work of redemption. He who excuses himself from this, who is unwilling to deny himself that others may become partakers with him of the heavenly benefit, proves himself unworthy of the life to come, unworthy of the heavenly treasure which costs so great a sacrifice. God wants no unwilling offering, no pressed sacrifice. Those who are thoroughly converted and who appreciate the work of God will give cheerfully the little required of them, considering it a privilege to bestow. So stewardship leaders, what what, what is that saying to you? <laughs> Sound pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> you know, I, I think people- I mean, what is it saying to you about Brother D? Well, Brother D was kind of selfish, which it happens to a lot of members. And I think the first sentence really points, brings it to a point that systematic benevolence is not something the conference came up with. It's not something the pastor came up with. It's not something the church board came up with. God originated this. And we know God does not make any mistakes. So when you are saying, I don't believe in systematic benevolence, I'm not following systematic benevolence, or the conference just always asking for money, you are saying you don't believe that God knows what he's doing. And you're saying that your plan, whatever it might be, is better than what God has ordained. But when you really look at it in a nuts and bolts sort of fashion, you can't come up with a better plan. You cannot come up with a better plan that's going to support the church business, that's going to support evangelism, that's going to support individuals in their lifestyle. When you think about it, God gives us 100% of everything we have. He only asked for us to give back 10% plus a free will offering. How many times would you, how many times could you come up to a person on the street and they say, look, I'll give you a hundred dollar bills, but you got to give me uh, $15 back. Who wouldn't take that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just an obvious win-win situation. But we look at it and say, why God won't take my money? I earned this. I made this. I worked hard for this. You wouldn't do nothing without God. He gave, first of all, he created us. So he gives us life and breath and our working of our being. 
He created everything on the planet. So we wouldn't even have that, you know, and it reminds me of the, uh, the story where uh, God and the scientists was debating about creation and the scientists were saying, oh, creation wasn't that hard. It's easy to do. I can do it myself. And, and he wanted to bet God that he could create something. And God says, sure, prove <laughs> to me that you're right. Mm-hmm. And he said, but you got to use your own dirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the scientist did not create dirt. He doesn't have mm-hmm. anything to work with. So mm-hmm. like us, we did not create our jobs. We did not create the resources. We did not create ourselves. Everything we have or ever will have comes from God. All he asks is for us to return a little bit for his work. But we get it twisted and think, this is all mine. Why should I give any to God? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then right there in the paragraph, it talks about why God put this plan in place. It says to save confusion, to correct covetousness, avarice, selfishness, and idolatry. So, I mean, that's a lot. That's saying a lot. And if just simply, if just simply following a system of systematic benevolence does all that for us, then why, why wouldn't we as Christians who are trying to become more like Christ want to do that? Why wouldn't we want to get rid of all of that? And if systematic benevolence does all of that, why wouldn't we want to do that? Because we're looking at it in a wrong light. We're looking at it as if this stuff is ours. It's not ours. It's God's. He gives us 85 plus percent of it. And we just looking at it like God is taking. But God is giving like the last sentence says, those who are thoroughly converted and appreciate the work of God give cheerfully because it's a privilege to give to them. And I don't want to get too far ahead, but the next paragraph, it says, you are stumbling over the very blessing which heaven has placed in your path to make your progress less difficult. We up here stumbling and bumbling and complaining about systematic benevolence when it's a blessing that God gives us. Mm-hmm. It's a blessing and we, we're making it a curse because we want, we, we're selfish and we're greedy and we want everything to belong to us. But mm-hmm. none of it belongs to us. Absolutely. Um, any other comments? Okay. Well, um, you know, I do, I, I do know that we do, and I, I won't mention nobody's name, but we do have sisters that, you know, return a favor offering and everything, and when they see you in need, they don't ask you. They just say, I had a little bit, here you go. And and they never throw it back up in your face that, oh, I gave you this when you was down and out. They never do that. And and I just I just can't say enough for the blessing for the sister PG. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um well, glory, glory, glory to God. Glory to God. <laughs> uh and in the next paragraph she talks about how he stumbled at the health reform. And she says that, you know, um, She's saying that it's not a needless appendix to the truth, but it is a part of the truth. And she says, while he hesitates and stands back, failing to lay hold upon the blessing, which is, which you read this part, uh, Lee, which is his, that, and is his privilege to receive, he suffers loss. And that he's stumbling over the very thing that heaven placed in his path to be a blessing and to make his progress less difficult. And so, uh, and says Satan presents before him all these objectionable 
the, the health reform in, a, in an objectionable light. And so that um, the things that he may combat that which you would prove the greatest benefits to you would be for your physical and spiritual health. And so apparently, you know, he's indulging in things that are destroying his health. And so he's limiting himself and uh, I, you know, I used to teach the class on councils on diet and foods and, and, and we are what we eat. <laughs> and so um, if we're eating a, 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 a diet that is well, overeating or heavy in certain things, then our, we're not gonna be able to appreciate spiritual truths the way that we should, period. And so evidently brother D did not want to follow those things. He did not want to uh, follow the health reform message. And it says that, she it says, you are a man whom a spare diet will benefit. So apparently he did a lot of overeating. She said, you were in danger of being stricken down in a moment by paralysis, one half of you becoming dead. She says, a denial of appetite is salvation to you, yet you view it as a great privation or deprivation. So she's saying this will benefit you, but you know, you're, you're not willing to do it. But don't we all do that, Karen? Don't we all? Mm -hmm. We do. You we absolutely know, do. I took it off. Um, and, you know, like one time, well, I'm, I'm struggling to see some foods as my enemy, as my murderers. They're trying to mm. kill me. Mm. And uh, I remember telling someone that their cigarettes were their murderers. And they tell me, well, we'll come over here, murderer, and kill me some more. <laughs> so I have to what live. was their murder? You told them what? Cigarettes, cigarettes were, was their murderers. Oh, okay. I see, I, see, I see your murderers laying all up on your bed, nice and comfortable. They talking about, yeah. They talking about what? What you talking about? I said, those cigarettes, they trying to kill you. And she talking about, come on over here, murderers, and kill me some more. You know, but it, I laugh about it, but mm. that's how we are. You know, all these things that are trying to hurt us. And we know they hurting us. It just take a lot of prayer. Lord help us. And one of the things too, we get impacted a lot by society, even though we claim we don't, but we're impacted by society, by what society does, what people tell us, you know, commercials and uh, advertisement, they all impact us. And there was actually, I think back in the thirties, uh, what they call the false staffing area. That's where if you were big, you are prosperous because that means you had plenty of food to eat. And so everybody wanted to be big because that meant they were prosperous. And now it says in this last part of the paragraph, you are a man who may spare diet will benefit. Well, we don't want a spare diet. That's saying that we're poor and we can't afford more, but it doesn't have to be that you're not eating enough. It's that you're eating better quality food and you're eating the right foods. So a mm -hmm. spare diet, you know, some of the people who are the most athletic and endure the longest they don't eat a whole lot of food they just eat the right foods but right. we got the wrong idea because society right. says you you got to live large you know and eat all you want go out to all these restaurants eating you remember when uh i think we've all probably been to cheesecake factory mm -hmm. you know good and well cheesecake factory give out too much food mm -hmm. <laughs> they give you like a triple portion of food and people sit there and eat it. And, you know, you go to a member when McDonald's started supersizing everything. We don't need all that food. We were doing fine with the regular size, but somebody said, hey, let's supersize and more people eat it. 
And so society fell in line with the supersize and, and the big gulp sodas and, you know, chill chug soda, all that stuff. It's nonsense when all of us, it says a denial of appetite is salvation, but we look at it as great privation. It's salvation, but we equate it with privation because we have a wrong idea of it. Once again, we're looking at things how man looks at it when we need to learn to look at it how God looks at it. Let me ask a question. And you know, that's the reason too, Elder, that we have so many of our young ladies. They will they they will eat a bunch of stuff and you know and uh, anorexia and bulimia. And then they'll they'll throw it up and it's like I want to put a bunch of food in, but I don't want it to show. So this is my way. And I'm telling you, it's all over the place. I mean, our young ladies, I mean, because they're looking at all these models that they see on TV and but what they in the magazines, they don't realize that those pictures, you know, they've done adjustments to make them people look like that, you know. But our young people don't see that. All they know is if, I, if I'm supposed to have this type of body image, and instead of it being healthy for them, it's definitely not healthy. Yeah. And you remember, I, don't, I think it was on Vogue magazine, they had a picture of uh, Kim Kardashian. And then she had this little bitty waist. And, it, and you know, girls are looking at this thinking, oh, I need my little waist like that. Or like back when they was wearing corsets, trying to make their wasp waist, they called it. And then you come to find out it was Photoshop. So just think of the millions of young ladies who were out trying to do that when it was all fake. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point when you talk about that, too, is is not is um, society, but also what kind of messages do we send to our children? You know, we send them mixed messages on the one hand, eat everything on your plate. That's why people go out and they buy food and they just eat, 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 you know. And then what are those things called, you know, those buffets? Well, you don't feel like you've really gotten your money's worth unless you have four plates of food, right? You know, and stuff. And also how we, what we say to our kids, you know, one on one hand, we say, eat everything on your plate. The other hand, we say, you too big for that skirt. Well, the kids are supposed to grow up. They're not going to be the same size their whole life. So it's better to say, you know, that skirt has gotten too small or whatever. But, you know, we have to become more aware because we're sending messages as family members to you know, our families uh, that says you're not acceptable unless you're this particular size. And Lakita mentioned buffets. You know, there are people who actually, their goal is to beat the buffet. They try and figure out how they can eat more. So they have a plan. First of all, you don't drink. Secondly, you don't eat the bread and stuff. You just go right for the meat because you can hog down a bunch of meat real Mm -hmm. quick. And then you eat certain side dishes, but stay away from starch. Because all they want to do is prove, oh, yeah, the buffet costs $12 each, but I must have ate about $50 worth of food. I won. You know, it's just I had so never ridiculous. heard that before. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And um, they try to figure out which dishes are the most, you know, expensive ones. And we saw on one of the uh, a program where they wouldn't allow this man to come in because he would, he knew how to beat the system. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's eating, eating the buffet. Yeah, he's eating the steak and piling up high with shrimp. They like don't drink sodas because that's just, and water that just fills you up. And you know, so they had some strategies. Go for the high ticket items. And mm-hmm. also, this was kind of funny. You know how everybody likes chicken wings, right? 
I mean, everybody giving you 30 chicken wings per order and stuff. And it's like, where are these chicken wings coming from? So finally, what ended up happening, uh, they had a report that there was a shortage of chicken wings. And, <laughs> and they just kept saying, we got a shortage of chicken wings. We're running out of chicken wings. But what they never said was, there's a shortage of chickens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how is it that you running out of chicken wings, but you got chickens? You know, it's kind of stupid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, what I was going to mention was um, the three Hebrew boys and, uh, and also Daniel and how, um, how uh, when they were given the king's food uh, to was supposedly make them strong and fit, what was their response to that? They weren't gonna do it. They want they they asked if they could have a all you know a, well I want to say they asked can they eat like fruits and uh, the fruits I mean the vegetables and you know and they granted them but then when you when they got through looking at the three Hebrew boys and Daniel, they were much wiser than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Stronger. As opposed to what they thought they should have looked like. You know, right. they thought they was going to be malnutrition. They right. weren't. Right. God was with them. Absolutely. And that should show us that, that we don't have to in, overindulge or indulge in rich foods or a lot of meats or stuff like that in order to be healthy, no matter what the world says, because the world will tell you you know, what it thinks. Um, but no matter what the world says, we know that simple foods are more healthier for us, less processed foods are more healthier for us, all of that stuff. So um, that's something that um, we as Adventists, uh, as part of a health message, should be practicing as well as, as influencing others. Uh, and, and, you know, it could be an active influence or an inactive influence, just them coming over and seeing what we eat or whatever, or seeing what we eat at lunch or whatever, whatever the case may be. I remember one time uh, Andre uh, was uh, at work and uh, maybe he can tell this story. Andre, where are you? I don't think he's at the computer right now. Anyway, um, he was at work and uh, he was asking for something at the lunch counter or something. And the man said, we got, we got some good uh, pork, whatever it was, some pork and catfish and all that. And he says, I don't eat any of that. You what? You don't eat it? Well, then what do you eat? <laughs> As if that's all there was in the world to eat. And um, some people it is. Well, they you just know, eat. you know, today at the Alton Church, they had a pastor. He didn't come to preach because Elder Howard uh, brought the message today. But he was there and he was there for Sabbath school. And he was saying, and they was translating because, you know, we don't understand the Spanish stuff. And he was saying, as they were talking about the flood, he, about how the diet was changed for that, for that temporary timing. And he said, what the world doesn't want to do is get off and go back to the original diet. But yet they want the rewards for they, they don't want to get sick. They want, you know, they want God to keep them healthy and stuff. He said, until they return to what God has had for them, that God is telling them about the health message. And, you know, and it kind of made sense, you know, when you thought about it, that, you know, people want to put all this stuff in their bodies, but yet you don't want, you, you, you don't want God to let you get sick because you don't want to change your eating habits. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That reminds me of, uh, I think it was Elder Cleveland. He's always one was good for stories. And he said that he was at a person's house for dinner. And this is relating to how we want God's blessing, but don't want to change what we eat. And mm-hmm. uh, so the people, they had all kind of stuff, pork and and catfish. You know, they thought they was laying it out mm-hmm. <laughs> for them. And, he, you know, they said, well, Elder Cleveland, would you give the blessing over the food? And so he mm-hmm. was like kind of stuck, like, well, you know, this is catfish and pork and ham and all that stuff. So what he ended up saying was he said, well, Lord, if you can bless that, bless that which you have already cursed, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I remember a different story. To get God's told. blessing, but not willing to change what they were eating. Right. I remember a different story that he told, and he went into this place, this restaurant to eat. And they said to him, we don't serve ends up in here, the N word, right? And he mm-hmm. said, good, because I don't eat them. so on that note we're going to end with uh the class for today and we'll do our uh point principle prayer and application uh next time after we complete the chapter um so let's see we're stopping get back to to that um we're going to start next time on Paragraph 546.2. Okay. So I'm going to mark that so I'll remember it also. And uh, we'll pick up. Lee, where are we for next week? We're in the book Christian Service by Ellen White, and we're in the chapter, sub chapter title Witnesses. It's still the first literal chapter, but it's a sub chapter called Witnesses. And it starts out, we are Christ's witnesses. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, so with that, we're going to close out for today. Uh, let me see. Lakita, can I get you to pray us out today? Yes, you may. You can. Thank you. Let's bow our heads. Most honorable Father, how grateful we are that you love us and you care for us and you left so many instructions for us, dear Lord, to, um, to guide us and to direct us, Father. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be better stewards of all things, our bodies, our, t- our talents, our time, and our treasures, dear Lord. We ask that, Father, that you would help us to be grateful for everything that's in our lives because we know you brought everything into our lives, Lord. We know that you is you who give us the power to get wealth. We ask that you would um, help us to use our brains uh, so that we may uh, prosper as you desire us to prosper. You have pr- said it in your Bible that you wish above all things that we would prosper and be in good health. So Lord, we ask that you would help us this week and throughout our lives to make better choices every day, every minute, to choose the right thing to do, the best thing to do, so that we may be saved in your kingdom. And mostly, Lord, so that the, we, the impression that we're leaving on others as we move through this world, that it will be a positive, inspirational um, uh, impression and influence on them so that they too would yeah. desire to know and desire to be like Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray and praise you always. Amen. 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 All I put in the chat the name of that show. And then there's also another one with the same type of miracles God performed called I Survived. They're kind of scary stories, but you know, it's only the grace of God that these people made it out of that situation. 
Hmm. Is this a cable station? Uh, you can look at some of them on YouTube. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Uh, so we're going to go off live now. Mm-hmm.